Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Sorry, it's still weird to have this thing on. Uh, hey, I'm William. It's good to see y'all. Uh, thanks for coming out to RUF tonight. Uh, we really do. I just kind of want to echo some of the things that, that we prayed and communicated. Um, like we really do want this to be uh, a space in a place, a time in your week where, where you really can come and rest. Like, we know that there's a lot going on. A lot of you, as you're, like, getting the swing of things back, like, after a whole year of COVID, and you didn't have to come to campus, you could do a lot of things, just like, in your PJs, and from your living room, or even in your bed, and, like, now you're having to, like, figure out how to be a real human and stuff again, um, and that's hard. Many of you, like, college is new, and it just takes some time, right, to, like, get back in the swing of things. It's stressful. There's a lot of anxiety. You're trying to figure out, like, who's going to be my friend? Am I going to have friends? And we just really want RUF to be a unique space in, uh, in your week, in your schedule, in your life, where you can, like, let your hair down. You know, like, no one in this room is here to judge you. Um, like we want to treat you the way that we believe Jesus treats us, which is just with unmerited um, love. So like I really just want this to be like even like just take a deep breath, like breathe in, breathe out. You're okay. I'm okay. Um, we're here. So glad you're here. Um, again, my name is William, uh, campus minister. If you just if you need anything, anything, don't be afraid to text me. Our intern, same thing. Our numbers in the bulletin. Uh, we are here to serve you. Um, that's what we're here for. All right. Um, so this semester, we are working our way through the first handful, about like a dozen chapters of the book of Genesis, which you may or may not know is the very first book of, of the whole Bible, of the Old Testament. And the reason why we're going to look at Genesis is, is because we're just kind of wanting to think about what are like the big overarching themes of the scripture. Um, I've heard someone say before that actually the entirety of the Bible is basically just an unpacking of this very, very first part of the book of Genesis um, because it's the book of origins, of like why are things the way they are? Why am I the way I am? Um, And we're going to just lay that foundation uh, this semester. Okay, so one of the big points, speaking of just big overarching themes, One of the big points, if you've been tuning in with us the past couple of weeks, uh, is that I have been hammering home this idea that me, you, everyone else you've ever met is uniquely made in the image of God. Um, That we have inherent worth and dignity because we bear what nothing else, what nothing else bears is God's very own image. Um, right, so we've, we've been saying that, and yet, and yet, what we're going to discover tonight is that something has gone horribly wrong with that. And you know that something's gone horribly wrong, because even like the people that you maybe even like a lot, I don't know that you look at them and go, you look like God to me, right? Um, you look at yourself in the mirror, you pinch that part of you. You don't treat yourself with the dignity that you bear 
or the way you talk about um, girls walking around campus, um, you don't treat them like they're um, bearing that unique dignity of God, right? So something's gone on. And look, you just even, even the whole question that I think is a legitimate question some of you are asking, like, what do we do with just all the indignity of suffering out in the world? Good grief, we just watched the entire collapse of, like, a sovereign nation over the past couple weeks in Afghanistan, and now, like, a, like a super wicked totalitarian government that has a uh, just awful history of oppressing women is now in charge. Like, what, what do we do with the fact that, like, what's with all the indignity? What's with all the suffering if we indeed have been made in God's image? What's wrong um, with the world? Um, this doesn't square, right? So let's go there. What's the Bible's account for what went so horribly wrong? So we're going to find out uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6, and what, what happens, just kind of spark notes version, um, is we know that God has come to Adam and Eve, the first people that ever existed, and said, hey, you can have all this, you can have all the fruit, all the animals, all the fun, all the paradise. One thing I want you to do for me, just don't eat the fruit of that tree right there. And then this snake that we know is this evil spiritual being, Satan, has come to Eve and deceived her, um, tricked her, kind of sold her a bill of goods um, to, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so her and her husband um, do. So anyway, but we'll, we'll, we'll read that. So that's the background. Let's read Genesis chapter 3. Start in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for your dust, the dust you shall return. 
The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Um, Father, uh, I know there's a, there's a lot of us here that uh, approach this text in a lot of different ways, maybe with a, just a lot of different baggage, maybe baggage because uh, we've, we've kind of been beaten over the head in weird ways with this passage, or it's kind of been wielded as a weapon over us. Um, uh, Lord, some of us, we just, I don't know, we just aren't super familiar with this, or like, as, as we read an account like this, it's like, is this more like mythology or analogy, or what is it? Um, and Lord, that's understandable, all those, um, all those ways we'd approach it. But Lord, I, I pray um, that we would just give this text a chance as we approach it this evening um, to let this story um, that we would just enter a space where we could just say, hey, what, what if this is the true history that underlies all of history? What if this actually makes sense of my world in a way that nothing else actually can? Um, so, Lord, I pray that we would just kind of like could put our weapons and maybe put some of even just our, our, our wounds just like down for a second and just enter into a safe place where we can just hear from you and hear your word. And I pray that you would be with uh, the meditations of all our hearts as we unpack this. Amen. Um, any superhero fans out there, Marvel fans, all right, two or three, four or five? Uh, I love I love all the Marvel movies. I just think they're awesome. The what if stuff, me and, me and Jonah have been nerding out on that. Like, oh man, I, I can't talk about it there because I feel like I'm going to ruin it for somebody. Um, all right, well, I'll give you like a good solid, like in the spring semester, I'm just like unloading all the wood input. So you better watch it before, before then. Um, all right, so I love them. Uh, all right, hey, what does any superhero worth their weight in salt need? Cool costume, arch rival, cool name, and of course an origin story, right? Um, and all origin stories, see the thing is they always end up coloring the entirety of any given hero's story, right? You think about like dark, brooding, cynical Batman. He's just, he's always living underneath the shadow of his parents' senseless death, senseless death. Um, Superman, alien from another planet. He comes to Earth, and he's, he's super, right? He's awesome, and he saves the day, and people love him. Um, but still, so much of his story is kind of being understood and being the alien that he is, feeling alienated and returning to his remote fortress of solitude. Um, Spider-Man, one of my favorites. Charged by his dying Uncle Ben with great power comes what? 
great responsibility. The irony of that, of course, is why did Uncle Ben die? Because Peter did not use his power responsibly, and it led uh, to his uncle's death, and so much of his life is kind of trying to make up for that, and actually still just never being able to save the people that matter most to him. Um, just a really tragic figure, honestly. All right, so what we have here in Genesis chapter 3 is our origin story. My origin story, your origin story, humanity's origin story. Um, and why we, we've looked in previous weeks at just the glorious beginnings of our story. And like much of that is still true. We're made in God's very own image. Um, and yet what we just read is a tragic plot turn in the story. And it colors uh, our story and the whole world's story. <laughs> But there is a ray of hope, even still in the story, that's extended to us. So I just want us to think about our passage in two ways. Is one, first, as, as images of God, how are we broken? So first, image is broken. And then second, uh, is there a hope to have the image restored, put back together again? So first, image broken. All right, so if we're going to think about how we are images, I, I like to use the, uh, the illustration of like an iPhone. Right? It's, it's, it's got a screen on it. And if I were to like throw this down and drop it and smash it into pieces, what would it look like? There would be uh, spider webbing cracks on it. Right? Some cracks would be running horizontally. Some cracks would be running uh, vertically. Sorry. Vertically, horizontally. Um, we are much the same way as we are images of God. We have horizontal cracks between our relationship with people we have vertical cracks, our broken relationship between us and God. So let's take that as one at a time. Um, so first, the horizontal, or the, sorry, the vertical cracks, all right? So look back to me at verse 6. Um, let, me, let me look back at verse 6. Verse 6. Um, all right, God says... Uh, or sorry, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was light to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. Her husband ate. Not that big of a deal, right? It's just fruit. They're just doing it. Why does that have just such like earth-shattering effects? As like we said, God said, like, hey, look, I just this one thing I want you to do, and this one thing that you're going to do is actually going to be symbolic of a lot of things. That are you going to follow me as your king? That I'm going to set what's right and what's good and what's holy and what's healthy? Or are you going to take that into your own hands and are you going to decide to be God yourself? And you're going to determine what's good and you're going to determine what's bad. Right? So God explicitly commanded, don't do this. And they rebelled against his command. Right? They, lit, they entered into all-out treason. What's the big deal with that? Well, to understand that, let's uh, get a little historical help. Um, and I get much of this from a guy named Richard Pratt. He's got a book called Design for Dignity. Wonderful, wonderful book. If you want to think a little bit more about what does it mean to be made in the image of God, it's a great one. Uh, but in it, he explains that, hey, look, the original recipients of Genesis... Uh, they weren't like white American people. They were ancient Near Eastern people uh, with a certain historical context and cultural context. 
And, um, and so this was written to them. Um, and so when they hear kind of this whole thing of like, ah, this God King is making a bunch of little images of himself and setting them around his kingdom, uh, they immediately know what that is. Because what would any ancient Near Eastern ruler or king do as soon as he took power? He would have a bunch of wooden or stone images of himself carved up and placed all over his kingdom to shout loud and clear, hey, guess who's in charge here? I'm in charge here. And so when God starts doing that very same thing, not images of wood and stone, but actually living, breathing uh, images, um, everyone knows that the whole point of these images is to point back to the king, point back to the creator. And they're supposed to like emanate out his glory and shout loud and clear across the whole world, this is who God is. This is what he's like. He's the king. He's in charge. And so what is, what is God like? No, he's good. He's pure. He's loving. He gives life. He creates. He blesses. Um, and that's what human beings were supposed to be like. And they were just supposed to shine forth his image. Um, you know, when that serpent comes to Eve and deceives her and says, Hey, look, if you eat of this fruit and disobey God, then, then you'll actually become like God. You know what Eve should have said to the serpent? She should have looked him right in his little snaky eyes and said, I already am like God. I can't become more like him. I'm already like him. Um, okay, but then with that first disobedience, Adam and Eve started to reflect something different from the goodness of God. Something contrary to God. Rebellion from God's goodness. Sin evil. And look, and they immediately know it. They know exactly what happened. They used to love God and love being with Him without fear, without shame, and just only knowing just rich, rich love and acceptance and blessing. Um, but now they're hiding from Him. They're afraid. They're drenched in shame. Ever felt drenched in shame? Uh, uh, their vertical relationship with God has been shattered. The image they are supposed to bear has been now corrupted with evil. And the end is that they get sent out of this perfect paradise garden um, that was theirs to enjoy. And now their life has to match like the new thing they image forth. Life separated from God. Right? It, it matches their sin. And it's just a evil, mean, hard life, um, which eventually ends in death, death, right? From dust you came, to dust you shall return. Okay, so that'd be bad enough, <laughs> but then we also have these horizontal crafts, too. Adam and Eve, they used to be with each other naked and unashamed. For some of you, that's like all you can think about uh, is being naked and unashamed with another person, and like, you're kind of supposed to feel like that, right? You're, you're an adult, you're emerging, and it's, you know, you're starting to look around and, like, who could I fit married to? Uh, that's normal. Um, okay, but what, but what are they doing now? 
Adam, like when questioned by God, he just immediately looks at Eve and goes, that woman that you gave to be with me, like she screwed all this thing, right? She, he just like immediately grabs his like beautiful, lovely wife and just throws her right under the bus. Right? This thing that used to just be this beautiful thing with each other, now they're like attacking one another. Um, and like God explains in the curses that, that yeah, there, there's going to be a breakdown in marriage. Y'all used to be a team, now you're going to work against each other. Um, they, it was going to be great raising kids together. Now there's going to be a lot of misery and pain in it. Um, okay, here, here's my question, because we could keep going through the laundry. Work. Work was going to be an awesome blessing. Now it is going to be filled with thorns and thistles. Um, here's my question. Does this origin story connect with your sense of what's wrong with the world? Or maybe even, let me ask it like this. With like the things that you want to be fixed in this world. Like the things you long to be right. Like maybe like a broken relationship with your parents. Like you just want nothing more than your parents to just be like proud of you and to not like hang weird mistakes over your head or to feel like, look, I don't, I don't have to do anything to get their approval. Maybe that's what you like long for more than anything to be set right. Uh, maybe it's, yeah, relationships between, you know, man and women. You're like, gosh, if like, if I could just get married and have a really healthy relationship with another human being like that, like, man, that would, that would be the thing. That would fix it. Um, or maybe it's just like, look, if I could just kind of like put in the work and do the stuff and then like it, it not get thwarted or like my work not be filled with all this like anxiety and stress, like wh- whatever it is, does, does the Bible's like proclamation of what's wrong with the world connect with how like what you want to be set back right? Um, there's a great book, it's called Hillbilly Elegy, written by J.D. Vance, just his story of growing up in this blue collar, just, you know, like drunk as Cooter Brown, um, you know, hillbilly land, and it's just like, you read his story, and you're like, dude, how did you ever get out of that because of just all the drug addiction and alcoholism? Uh, but he says this about Christianity. He says, the fallen world described by the Christian religion match the world I saw around me. One where a happy car ride could quickly turn to misery. One where individual misconduct rippled across a family's and a community's life. When I asked Mama, his grandmother, if God loved us, what I was really asking her is to reassure me that this religion of ours could make sense of the world we lived in. I needed reassurance of some deeper justice, some cadence or rhythm that lurked beneath the heartache and the chaos. So what about you? Like, does this story actually tell a truer story than maybe the story of just like secular atheism that says, like, the world sucks, but there's really no such thing as good, there's no such thing as bad, because there just is, and there's just matter, and I die, you die, the world's just going to end in either like fire destruction or entropy is just going to go out and it's going to be one cold, frozen mass. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All the bad things, it doesn't matter. Um, 
Or is actually the story saying that actually the things that are wrong with the world are indeed wrong? Because there was a point when they didn't exist and all things were just good and perfect and there needs to be restoration. Right, so that's the tragedy. Um, what's the ray of hope? The ray of hope for something better. Image restored. All right, look back with me at, at verse 21. The Lord God made Adam, uh, excuse me, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Um, I love Chronicles of Narnia, a uh, line which the wardrobe actually just like read out with uh, my oldest daughter, Lily, and probably going to for the fifth time um, in a row. Um, and uh, it's for her, for her, not because it's not for me. Um, when the Pevensey children, if you remember the story, when they step out into Narnia, right, they step out into this cold world of like death and ice, what are they, what are they wearing? Right, they're, they're shrouded in these big, warm coats, right, animal skins. And that's always been a striking image to me. Um, right? They just step into the, this cold, hard world with, with warmth and protection cloaked over them. And uh, I think God's doing a very similar thing here with Adam and Eve as he does this. Um, and he's, at, he's actually doing more than just giving them something to keep them warm. Um, he's actually putting a covering over their shame. He's putting a covering even over their sin. Right? He, what he's communicating is, look, because there's something implicit here. Uh, the text doesn't go into details. But how, how do you get an animal skin? You, you kind of have to take it off of an animal, right? And I don't know about like how much experience y'all have with hunting or stuff, but do animals normally like survive the experience of having their skin removed off of them? No, they kill them. Uh, it reminds me. I actually have one of my friends in. College, uh, they lived, they, their house they lived in was called the Lake House uh, because the basement was always flooded of it. Uh, and uh, and the, the, so my friend uh, Connor Cheshire, um, he, I went over to his house and he just had all these horribly taxidermied squirrels all over his house. Like, you know, one that's just like, like one big, huge eye, and like one that's like a googly eye, and like the faces just were all wrong. I was like, dude, what's up with these squirrels? He's like, oh, I just like, I like squirrel hunting, and like, I, I did these myself. I'm like, you're a serial killer. You're weird. Um, so, um, so skins. You have to, how do you get animal skins? Something has to die. Right? Something has to die. So God was communicating to them and to us in that moment that, look, you know what? You engaged in all-out treason. And like, yeah, there's going to be all these curses. They're going to be bad. It's not going to feel good. Um, and it's going to be this reminder that like, you are in rebellion against me. But you know what you really deserve? Not curses. You deserve death. Because you've created, you've um, you've entered into treason against your king. You did evil, and the punishment for that is blood, is death. But what he is also simultaneously communicating in that moment 
is that I'm going to create a way for something else to take that treasonous death that you deserve so that you can actually be cloaked with dignity. So you can have your shame taken away and you can be covered in righteousness. And look, if you're doing the math of that, and you're like, look, if, if I'm going to kind of have the image of God restored in me, it, it's going to take something better um, than being covered with animal stuff. Like, animals are great, love animals. Like, I, I want to have the image of God put back on me, restored in me, like not the image of a badger or whatever it was. Um, but what if these animal skins actually are there in the story to point to something better than themselves? So we're looking here tonight at the, the beginning of the Bible, the origin story. But what if we flip to the end of the story? Um, I, I want to read you something from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, from chapter 7 of it. And, and so we're getting here as we read uh, Revelation chapter 7. We're kind of getting, getting this heavenly vision of the end time. So we're getting to see like, hey, this is the world and salvation as God understands it and sees it. Okay, so here, what do we see? Then one of the elders addressed me again, this like heavenly vision, addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, coming out of the great suffering. Um, kind of like the great cursed suffering that we all live in. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Um, when John the Baptist hits the scene about 2,000 years ago, uh, he took one look at a person and he declared a singular person, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he did that, he was pointing at the man Jesus of Nazareth. He pointed at a man made in the image of God and a man who actually was God. Like, not just an image, actually God. Um, and he's not shattered. He's not a shattered, broken image. He can't be because he's God. He's a perfect image, God. And so he is finally able to do something that no animal can do. Right? He is able to actually pay the death penalty um, that we actually need to pay for him. And then he is actually able to drape over us his image. That we're restored perfectly. Right? With Jesus' sacrificial blood, he gives you new clothes. He gives you the perfectly restored image of God. No cracks, no blemishes, just radiant, pure, white clothes. How do you get those clothes? There's only one way to get them. You can only get them for free. You can only get them by Jesus putting them on you and you just receiving them. And look, I know some of you, um, you're thinking, like, that sounds wonderful. That sounds like something that would be really great for someone else. But, like, you don't understand 
of like how much I've already messed this up. Like I've cut myself too much, I've had sex too much, I've 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 whatever too much. Um, we've we've all messed up too much. Right? There is no such thing as a person who isn't a shattered image of God in Adam and Eve. Right? Doesn't matter if you've got one or two cracks or three billion cracks in the screen, you're still broken. Um, and the point isn't really how many cracks in your life. The point is that all the images are shattered, and the new perfect screen that Jesus lays on top covers all the cracks up. You can't out sin Jesus' washing. You can't out-sin the blood of Jesus. That's how pure it is. You, you can't out-shatter the perfect image of God that Jesus gives to you for free. And you just receive it by faith. God looks at you and he sees his son. Perfect, lovely, valuable, the image of God. Friends, would you consider that an invitation to receive those clothes? Let's pray. Um, Lord God, um, we love you. Um, the news that um, your word actually says that there really is something fundamentally wrong with us, uh, I I pray that that would just kind of rattle around in our heads. Like, not in a weird way that makes us more ashamed, uh, not in, like, weird, guilt-trippy ways, or, or ways that just feels like yeah, of course, like the pastor guy up there is like yelling about sin and stuff. Uh, Lord, I pray that actually as we hear the, the bad news of Christianity, that it would actually be able to hit us as good news. That it would actually explain like, ah, this is why um, I struggle to like myself. Ah, this is why um, people really struggle to treat each other with respect. I know this like this is this actually explains my world. And if that is true, Lord, then we actually have a solution to what's wrong with the world. And it's you. Um, I pray that just with like fresh faith, fresh love, we would come to see that the image you have to give to us um, is precious. And that it is enough to make us right with you and to actually even restore us to each other. And as we're cloaked in your righteousness, that we can actually start treating each other as if you've cloaked us with righteousness, if you've cloaked them with righteousness, and that we can actually treat each other with the dignity and respect um, that we deserve. Lord Jesus, would you do this work in us? by your spirit. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at Aggie RUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.